The following program was made possible by the generosity of those who have determined to hold fast to the true Roman Catholic religion, as expounded by the Roman Catholic Church before the disasters of Vatican II and the so-called New Mass. Hello and welcome to What Catholics Believe. I am your host, Thomas Nagley, and with me tonight is Father William Jenkins. He is a priest member of the Society of St. Pius V. He's also the pastor of Immaculate Conception Church right here in Norwood, Ohio. Hello, Father. How are you? Very fine, Tom. How are you doing? Just fine, Father. Thanks for asking. Thanks for being here tonight. You're very welcome. Uh, Father, we have, as usual, a whole lot of emails I thought we'd try and get through. And the first one is from a viewer who sent in the question through our new website. And she asks, how does an individual begin to live a good Catholic life after being away from the church for a long time? I'm trying to help someone who is coming back to the church. I would also like to take this opportunity to thank you for all of the work you do in promoting the traditional Catholic religion. I came across your videos quite by chance, and now I listen every day. It is refreshing and most edifying to hear authentic Catholic teaching. I will keep you all in my prayers. Very nice. Well, thank you very much. Much appreciated. That's what we need most of all. Uh, as far as returning to practicing the Catholic faith, you know, after being away a long time, uh, you know, there are a number of reasons why someone might be away a long time. Uh, the most common reason, I think, that this day and age is because of that Ovisordo. That people fell away because of the new order, the changes. They saw nothing, nothing in them. And there is nothing in them. I mean, they're, they're empty. <clears throat> and so people saw there was nothing, no reason to continue going uh, to the Ovisordo liturgy and with its banality and its lack of sacredness and so on. Even the lack of the sacrifice of they realize, I mean, it's not centered around the sacrifice of Calvary anymore. So they they understand almost like a, uh, with, with a, a census catholicus, right? The, the spiritual sense that this is not Catholic, this is not Mass, there's nothing here to hold me. And so they fall away. And uh, some people can be away for 10, 20, 30 years or more. Um, so when they do come back, they rediscover the traditional faith is still very much alive. And the traditional Catholic religion is still very much being practiced. What do they do? Well, they should really talk to a traditional Catholic priest. They should arrange to make a general confession. Um, they should go to confession. They should want to get a good French start. That's, that's a good start. Uh, now, if they've been away for a long time and perhaps they never really learned the faith, they need to obtain a good catechism. And uh, they need to study. In fact, uh, you know, many of them, uh, who might have been teenagers when they fell away, uh, maybe, again, 10, 20, 30 years ago, before, would want to sit down with a Catholic priest and go through the catechism, just as a convert would. You know? So they understand the faith very well. And as I say, they should be prepared, uh, preparing to make a good confession. Obviously, they should check the question of whether their baptism was valid, because well, back in the 70s and 80s, a lot of these Nova Soto uh, clergymen were, were kind of making things up as they went along. And um, they didn't even follow the Novus Ordo ritual in some cases. So uh, one, has to, one has to examine that question of whether the baptism that they received was certainly valid and uh, make arrangements accordingly about that. Uh, if they're married, it would be a good idea for them to renew their marriage vows uh, before a tr traditional Catholic priest, okay? To renew the marriage vows uh, for the sake of the graces that would come through that. <clears throat> and um, they should prepare to receive Holy Communion then as they would for their first Holy Communion. That's a great event to receive our Lord. Maybe they've been receiving him in the Novus Ordo in the hand. Who knows if, what they were receiving? <clears throat> so they should really consider this to be uh, a great event in their lives, the return to the practicing of the Catholic faith. So uh, now, of course, for someone who returns, having been astray for whatever reason, because of you know, sin, because of uh, you know falling away from the Novus Ordo, or whatever, um, 
they really have to have the idea of a real conversion. Uh, they really have to have the intention to learn their faith. And just, just as a regular, as a convert, you know, there are basically three requirements for a convert to be received into the church in the first place. That is, they have to learn what the faith is. Then they have to decide whether they believe it. Absolutely, they believe it is the truth and uh, the one true faith. And then they have to uh, agree to practice the Catholic religion with all of its morality and, and so on. They have to decide whether they're going to live the faith. Okay. Once uh, a convert learns the Catholic faith, decides that he or she believes the Catholic faith as a one true faith brought to earth uh, by the Son of God and um, and uh, as taught by the, the true the traditional Catholic religion which he established uh, church which he established and they make the decision they're going to practice the traditional Catholic religion in its integrity they can become Catholics they can be received into the church well somebody who's been away for a long time who might have been baptized Catholic um, has to essentially go through that process, as it were, making those decisions all over again. In many cases, uh, they have to learn the faith, which they never learned in the first place in the Novus Ordo. So, essentially, that's what I would mm -hmm. say. And as far as uh, going over the catechism, obviously there's nothing better than actually sitting down one-on-one -on -one with yeah. a traditional priest, but we do have the uh, the playlist where you went over the brief catechism for adults. That's the right. right chapter, and mm -hmm. we can certainly link I to that. I think we still have a few chapters to go. I think so we better finish that. I'm just, just, just a few. But we've covered almost all of the chapters in right. the brief catechism for adults, mm -hmm. and they are available. Yeah, and, uh, and I know that that's been a what tremendous. What has been a tremendous help to a lot of people. We we've just mm -hmm. sent those links out a lot. So, oh, good. Yeah, good. I think they're definitely coming handy. Good. All right. Well, then, Father. Next question: As you ask, what is the basis for the doctrine of original sin? Ask what are some sources in Scripture and tradition which indeed affirm that there is such a thing as original sin. He says that he's been in a protracted debate with uh, two of his close relatives, and their main points in the argument are twofold, that St. Augustine had a Manichaean hangover, as they put it. Uh, they say that uh, Romans 5.12 was mistranslated by St. Jerome. So he says, Father, I feel outmatched intellectually and need some help in, define, in defending rather, what is a crucial doctrine of the Catholic faith, because I don't want to see two people I care for lose their faith. So if Father could find the time to explain the doctrine and its basis, it would be of tremendous help. Well, there's only so much we can do here right now. But uh, uh, the the idea of preventing two people he cares for losing their faith, it sounds like they're losing their faith. They might have already lost their faith, <laughs> right? Um, and so um, in, a, in a case like this, I mean, one could write entire volumes on the subject. One, one can say that St. Augustine had a Manichaean hangover. That's not an argument. That's actually a very foolish statement. Um, one would have to say, well, prove it. Show, demonstrate that to me. I mean, don't just uh, pop off something like that and expect it to be accepted uncritically, as though it's some great oracle uh, that is pronounced on this. Uh, what, what exactly do you mean by that? You know, that's a kind of a silly statement in the first place. A Manichaean hangover. You mean he was subject to the Manichaean influence, but he rejected the doctrines of the Manichees. Absolutely. In becoming a Catholic. But you're saying his conversion was not genuine. He actually brought Manichaean error into the faith. And this great doctor of the Western Church uh, then brought this error of the Manichaeans. What, what do you mean by that? In one sense, is, in what sense is uh, original sin, the teaching of original sin, associated with Manichaeism? I mean, there, there's so many imbecilities in, in, involved in that statement. It is, a, it is actually mind-boggling. If somebody were to, were to held, were held to, to account for that statement, he, he couldn't do it. He, he wouldn't know where to begin. And so, um, you know, people can throw off statements like that. That is so mind-bogglingly, well, I'm sorry, but stupid, that they, they stupefy. They really are meant to stupefy a person who has to think about them because they, they make no sense whatsoever, you know. And uh, one, one has to get, uh, be prepared for a statement like that from, from people and not allow themselves to be stupefied by the, the things that people say. Liberals are very good at that. 
men, uh, modernists are masters at casting off these these stupefying statements because they're so imbecilic that they they actually short circuit the brain's rational, intellectual, logical thought processes in trying to even understand, trying to make sense out of what the person said. And so they'll stop a person called as though, well, I have no answer for that. What's the, what's the question? Even? <laughs> you know? And uh, so uh, one has to be very wary of that in dealing with such people. And a lot of it is just intellectual dishonesty. And they're probably just repeating something they heard, which comes in handy at that time um, <clears throat> to, uh, to kind of block, uh, to block intellectual thought. But in any case, uh, that's not even worthy of consideration, the whole idea of St. Augustine having a, a Manichaean hangover is, is absurd. Uh, as far as uh, Romans chapter 5, 12, I mean, that's the very, very famous statement, and it's a statement in sacred scriptures, so it is actually the word of God that in Adam all have sinned, right? And, uh, of course, we understand that, as Catholics understand that, uh, of course, Christ, our Lord, himself did not sin, so he's not guilty of sin. He did not need to be redeemed. He's the redeemer of all, right? And we understand that, and it's true of our Blessed Mother also. Uh, she was preserved free of original sin by a special privilege that God accorded her. There is plenty of evidence uh, in sacred scripture to establish that fact, going back to Genesis 3, chapter, Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, when God promises the Redeemer by saying, I will put enmity between thee, Satan, and the woman, a woman who would be the enemy of Satan, never his ally, and who would bring forth the Redeemer, okay? So, I mean, again, I don't want to go into that so much here right now as to deal with this question of original sin itself. <clears throat> so um, the statement in Romans chapter 5, verse 12, reflects the belief of all of the fathers of the church, okay? It's not just Jerome's translation. I mean, before Jerome's translation, uh, there was the Atala translation too. And uh, that was commonly used. St. Jerome uh, actually wrote what he did. He translated what we know as the Vulgate in order to correct and to, uh, you might say, um, make more clear the statements in the Atala. But uh, we also have to remember that uh, you have the you have the the not only the translations that Saint Jerome did, but we have people who can read the most ancient texts we have, the manuscripts, right, uh, the uh, fragments, and so on. And again, the fathers of the church—they all understood the reality of original sin. Uh, someone from this point of view can throw out these questions and. Maybe nobody in the room uh, can answer them immediately, but there are answers. The answers have been there for centuries, and we know they have been. So it's easy for someone to play off the ignorance of other people by begin to questioning to question now what others throughout the centuries have accepted as true Catholic doctrine, the teaching of our Lord Jesus Christ. Um, if if there is no original sin we, uh, that uh, comes to us then um, we are not condemned, okay? We are not subject to condemnation to hell. We do not come into the world with sin imputed to us, or uh, we do not come into the world with guilt, the guilt of sin, having been inherited, essentially, from our first parents. And why, why do we need a Redeemer? You take away original sin, you take away the whole idea of what the Redeemer came for. And our Lord came to save us from sin and death, okay? Um, you also take away the entire history of humanity because we see in humanity coming down through from Adam and Eve, through Cain and Abel, all the way through this very sinful nature of mankind. And uh, again, I mean, this is a negation of the whole history of mankind. Talking about the negation of reality, right? All you have to do is pick up the newspaper. Well, I don't recommend it now these days. It's very sordid. But, I mean, you, you, you're familiar with the news day by day by day, and you're confronted, I mean, what is it, 90, 95% of it, uh, that is reported there goes back to original sin, the manifestation of original sin. There is nothing more firmly established in, in uh, terms 
of our understanding of who we are than this original sin, right? Um, the defects in human nature are there, they're real, and God did not put them there. We did by sin. So, um, you know, we could go into a lot more detail, but we're trying to, to limit ourselves here, I know. Uh, I'm trying to be good, okay? Um, but, you know, in terms of um, just, I, I would tell this person, look, um, you know, you, you read the sacred scriptures and you see the references to the Redeemer and what he would accomplish and why he came. Um, going back to Genesis, right? The very beginning uh, of uh, sacred scripture. Uh, read what is sent there. That God promises a redeemer. And he promises a redeemer precisely because of sin. And the consequences of sin were fast and sure and, uh, and, and deadly, literally deadly. That because of that, death came into the world. And uh, it's... it's, it's uh, Consequences are in every soul, death, okay? We're subject to suffering and death. That is a direct, those are direct consequences of original sin. One can't argue with those things. They're facts, okay? Mm -hmm. So uh, let one uh, cry as he, as he might that there is no such thing as original sin that is inherited by all of us, descendants of Adam and Eve, but notably from Adam as the head of the human race. One can argue all he wants until he's blue in the face about that. His arguments amount to nothing because reality is what it is. And eventually, uh, you know, it, it's going to have to, it comes to the foreground. Mm -hmm. You know, this is, um, and I would also recommend, uh, you know, looking that up, you know, there are, there are many. There, there are a number of sites of patristic writings. Some of them very complete, going back to the fathers of the church, and one can understand exactly what the first members of the Catholic Church, the first Christians, believed, and what they believed is exactly what we say in our catechisms: sure. that Adam and Eve committed original sin, and we inherit that the guilt of that original sin from them, as we inherit that nature. We inherit a fallen nature that is uh, subject to concupiscence, subject to what we call the fomes peccati, um, that is subject to suffering and death because of original sin. Mm -hmm. And Father, just a real quick observation, you know, just from an average layperson perspective, I think anyone who has had children or been around children, mm -hmm. I think you can see very clearly the manifestation of original sin. That's when your point. Um, children, babies, or even a few months old, you can see they just, so many of them just have a terrible temper. They want what they want and they want it now. If they don't get it, they they lose their temper. They're, even when they barely have control of their arms, they're ready to start smacking someone when they, they want what they want and they want it now. And you can just see with this terrible temper and you can see so many faults manifested in them. And these aren't learned behaviors. Uh, you know, these are, these are things that are that's something disordered there. You can see that quite quite clearly. But well, you you I mean, in, infancy is a time of really like absolute selfishness. Oh, definitely. we have to learn to overcome that. Exactly. And uh, it's a struggle. It's a, there's something in us we have to struggle against. You're absolutely right, Tom. You definitely. see this in the children, the willfulness <clears throat> of the children there. But uh, just another point, Father. He says in here that both of his family members they hold that the church erred in defining this doctrine. And I've heard that so many times from Have you really? from would-be Catholics that will say, I agree with the church, except for maybe whatever such and such doctrine, or maybe not on this point. I mostly agree with the church, but not on this point. <clears throat> then, then you're not, they're you're not, not a Catholic. A Catholic. You don't have to it's, it's, it's all or nothing. I know in a lot of modern liberal logic classes, they'll teach you, you can't have these arguments from authority. They're invalid. It's not logical to have an argument from authority. Well, if the authority is, is Christ's church, the spotless bride of Christ, then yes, an argument from authority is valid. And sure, the church doesn't want us to blindly accept everything that she pronounces. We should attempt to understand it. But we should have that in the back of the mind, you know, that this, an argument from authority, when this authority is established as the authority of Christ, it is certainly a valid argument. And to say that the church erred in defining anything is absolutely ludicrous. Not well, you're right that the church wants us to understand as much as we can of our dogmatic <laughs> definitions, but ultimately it is a matter of faith. And uh, you say, 
we're not meant to blindly accept it. That's true in a certain sense. But nonetheless, I mean, that's what faith is. Faith is the acceptance of the truth of something that we cannot demonstrate to ourselves, right. even perhaps comprehend. Sure. So you might say there's necessarily a certain blindness in us sure. about these matters of faith. Um, but that's our theology is, is trying to understand, to understand the matters of faith, which ultimately come down to mysteries that are beyond the range of our sight, our hearing, our comprehension. But you know, um, you're right, Tom. I mean, either you have the faith or you don't. You believe the church, uh, traditionally, you know, the traditional Catholic church was established by our Lord Jesus Christ. There is one true church teaching one true faith and professing one true religion, right? And they come from our Lord, or you don't. And you can't cherry pick what you like and, and deny what you don't. I mean, that's not faith. That's not what faith is all about. Mm -hmm. um, you know, there's a, those who followed our Lord, even out into the wilderness. They were fed out there with the loaves and the fishes. And the next day they turned and they walked away from him because he told them, Amen, Amen, I say unto thee, unless thou you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you will not have life in you. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. I mean, they sent, they couldn't accept that. All the other things up to that point, they were willing to accept with that one thing. They knew that because they pressed him and he kept responding in a more clear and more uh, a more determined way, there was no way to dismiss the reality, the truth, the literal truth of what he was saying. And so they understood they had to turn and walk away. But people nowadays... They don't. They don't even have the integrity of the people who walked away from our Lord back then. Because they'll stay and say, well, you know, we don't have to believe that if we don't want to. And we'll still hang on here and pretend to be Christians. But it, it, that's not how Christ sees it. Um, that's why at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, you know, our Lord says, there will be those who will say to him in the day of judgment, but Lord, didn't we prophesy in thy name? Did we heal the sick in thy name? Did we do this in thy name and that in thy name? And our Lord will answer, I assure you, I never knew you. Because they didn't they didn't really have the virtue of faith to believe sure. what he had taught. They they chose to believe what they found convenient. Um, glorifying themselves rather than God. So uh, we we see this in the denial of original sin. <clears throat> but you know it, it's 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 hard to fathom how anybody, any rational person could deny the reality of original sin, who simply faces, I mean, not only human history, but his own personal history, you know? How could anybody live in this world with himself and not realize there, there is original, original sin here, active in me, too? St. Paul talks about that. He talks about the old man of sin was still there threatening him, right? <laughs> and uh, the new man born of, uh, born of grace, of God. He, he saw that very clearly. How can anybody uh, not recognize that fact? Um, but how could they also not recognize the fact that the denial of original sin <clears throat> essentially denies everything? It denies the whole, the whole point of, of the promise of a Redeemer, it denies the point of the incarnation. It denies the point of uh, that Redeemer establishing a church with the sacraments. In other words, everything falls away when you deny this, mm -hmm. right? So um, I guess what it comes down to, that this is the beginning of apostasy for these people. I once read, Father, that the study of history is the realization that people were always this messed up. Okay. <laughs> I think that... uh, well said. Yeah. It sounds better in Latin. <laughs> Everything sounds better uh, in Latin. All right. Well, fine. Let's move on then. We have an email, again, uh, sent through the new website. And from a viewer who says, I was wondering about Pope John the Twenty-Third. There was a Pope John the Twenty-Third uh, from 1410 to 1415, and then again in 1959. So I heard that the first one was denounced as an anti-pope after five years of papacy. And if that's true, then the sphere says that he heard if a pope is denounced as an anti-pope, then yeah, that, that same name from the anti-pope cannot be taken again by a future pope. Is that true, Father? There's no hard, fast rule about that. Okay. I mean, it, it became customary because it wasn't done mm -hmm. that after a, a person was formally declared an anti-pope. And by the way, as, as they say there, it took a while for that to happen. Five years. Right? Five years. So how long has Francis been, uh, been there, right? <laughs> 
So, uh, you know, how long will that take? But in any case, uh, it was customary that uh, they would kind of avoid that name because of the, the legacy of that. John the Twenty Third broke that custom, but there was nothing in law that would have prevented him from taking the name of John the Twenty Third. And in fact, that he took the same name, John the Twenty Third, could almost be interpreted as a repudiation of him. The previous John the Twenty Third was not a true pope anyway, so that name was never actually held by a true pope of the church. So one could argue either way in that, you know. Um, <clears throat> You know, there, there was a, an anti-Pope Pius Thirteenth, right? Um, he lived in a mobile home out in Montana or someplace like that. And uh, so does that mean if things carried on and no, uh, there could never be a, pious, a Pope Pius Thirteenth? No, it doesn't mean there couldn't be a, ever a, be a real Pope Pius Thirteenth, and no one could take that name. Um, but as I say, I mean, it was a... Uh, it was kind of a, an unwritten custom that was followed. Okay. Hey, okay. uh, next email. Father from my viewer says, Dear Father Jenkins, I just finished watching your show on the late-term abortion law that was passed in New York and almost passed in Virginia. So they ask, is voting for a pro-choice government official president a sin? Yes. Okay. <clears throat> yes, it is. Absolutely. Okay. And, and by the way, Vermont just passed a law also, which is... Uh, uh, truly draconian, as far as the murder of children right up to birth. Mm -hmm. And uh, Illinois is working on that right now. There are already um, maybe a dozen states or more that allow this. And uh, you know what is really indicative about this, uh, Tom? <clears throat> is that the Democrats in the state houses, but also the federal government, uh, the United States Congress, uh, Senate actually, has just, they've been voting on this question of the obligation to um, give medical care to preserve the life of a baby, baby who survived the abortion process. So the baby actually is born alive. Now you'd think that this would be the most basic fundamental um, measure of humanity, right? And the Democrats don't even have that. They don't even have that most fundamental measure of humanity left in them, okay? Because in, all, in the state house elections and, and in the uh, Senate vote on the subject, the Democrats lined up almost to a man and a woman to shoot down that legislation. They, they, they mocked it as a Republican stunt, simply an effort to get medical care to a child born alive, who they failed to kill in an abortion. That, that the child, uh, demand, that, that the law demands that the doctors save the child's life, okay? And not simply allow the child to die, you know? And, um, the, I mean, Gosnell is now serving a life prison, a life term in prison for doing these evil things. And that's what these people represent. They will stop any effort to save that child's life, even after birth. Now, is this infanticide? Yeah, of course it is infanticide. Uh, it goes back to the pagan times. The children who were not wanted simply were taken out and left on the, the edge of the village to be eaten alive or baked to death in the sun. Uh, their lives, they, they were not given any, any care whatsoever. It was forbidden, okay? That's the level of these people. Uh, and you see these women. <clears throat> you see these these women legislators there, and they're so happy about that, they've got these big grins on their faces, like the Cheshire Cat, they're so happy about this, but they're nothing but grinning ghouls. They really are, they're grinning ghouls. Let's see some faces of these people, as they're grinning with, with satisfaction at having done this. I mean, the, they are, uh, the, the, the words escape a person as to, as to the, the character of these individuals. And, you know, the odd thing is that all of these people joining the left mock Christians and Christianity. They have a certain a contempt and a hatred for real Christianity. Okay? 
And you know, Father Kermit Gosnell, after all of this happened, you know, he was sent to prison and everything, he said that he would be exonerated. He believed that he would be exonerated okay. in time. And you see it happening today. I mean, they're they're allowing, they're proving, they're, they're codifying what he did. Yeah, and he's being exonerated. Well, he might as well have the devil himself saying, I will be, I will be exonerated. That's, that's, oh, it's yeah. happening. Yeah. It's happening. And, you know, you... Mankind will acclaim me their God after all. You have so many, uh, so many liberals who will, you know, mock you if you try and bring up the slippery slope argument. And you see this happening. I mean, it's, it's, it's getting to the point now where it's, you know, these babies who are born alive. I mean, you think you but can't Tom, get it's much not, worse It's than not this. even the slippery slope I mean, you're establishing a principle, and it's just playing out. You're drawing the logical, necessary, inevitable conclusions from the principle you established when you, when you approve of a single abortion. Right. You approve of a single abortion for, for, for any reason whatsoever, that it's all right to take the life of this one child for whatever reason. Mm -hmm. You've established the principle that you can take any life for any reason. Mm -hmm. It's just playing out the principle. I mean, even the slippery slope thing implies, well... You know, we're kind of on the level here, but, you know, we're going to be tilting more and more that way. As though at some point, you know, there, there's a, it's not so bad until you get over here, you know. But the point is that um, it's a free fall. Mm -hmm. And perhaps it even goes back farther than that. You, you know, you could start at contraception when, when that yeah. came about. Oh, yeah. And I... yeah. Well, but, well, again, the point is, if you, if you agree, as you say, that human sexuality and the power, the reproductive powers are for, the, for one's own personal gratification, not for the sake of giving life. As soon as you admit that principle, then when you do give life and that wasn't what you wanted, destroy it. Yeah, that, that's a pr principle that follows directly from this uh, false ideas of perversion. Mm -hmm. It all goes back to that. This is the divide. Uh, the, the human sexual powers, the powers of reproduction, are they primarily... Uh, for the sake of giving life, is, that, is this a gift from God? Has God invested his creative power in us to give life? Or are they simply an accident of nature, uh, of evolution, just for each person to enjoy himself? And that's all that matters. There you are. It's a key to justify homosexuality and everything else that comes. That's right. If it's all about my personal enjoyment, that's the... That's the highest good. That's the ultimate purpose of this. Then anything that stands in the way, I can destroy because it's just, it's a, a attacking the quality of my life. Mm -hmm. It's my enemy. Um, it's a divide really between um, being, uh, you know, a, someone who acknowledges God in heaven and his sovereignty or someone who, who is like the devil himself and says, I will not serve. I will be my own God. The difference between heaven. I will be served and will not serve. That's right, Father. You know, I remember the um, the article that you often mention. I believe it was from a salon dot com writer, perhaps. But yes, um, uh, William Williams. Right, where she talks about you know how this this fetus that that is being aborted it, it is a human life, and I I think that that uh, view is becoming more mainstream now. Where it seems you don't even hear that argument anymore. That oh, it's just a clump of cells. It's not a life. Well, one of the abortionists recently went on record as saying, "Yes, I admit it's a human life." Yeah, they have. They so have no, they have they have no problem, and and now like you said, they're they're these babies that in the failed. Botched abortions who are born alive, even they don't care. They know that they're life. They don't care. They're just they're taking it. So uh, what a mess. Well, again, it all gets back to they're saying we care because we are Christians, right. and they mock us for that. Right. Uh, so. right. Well, Father, if we could, I just have two more short emails. If we could get through these and finish off the stack, yeah. that would that Certainly. would be great. So. Uh, this viewer asks, if you are familiar with the writings of E. Michael Jones, and would you agree with what he has to say about the Jews and their involvement with the destruction of the Catholic Church? I'm not familiar with his writings. The name I know is no friend of real traditional Catholics, but um, I, I don't know about his writings concerning the Jews. Okay. Okay. Uh, you know, when one says the Jews, one has to be careful here, okay? Because we know that there will be a, a conversion of, of, of the Jews uh, and they will be the leading the resistance to the Antichrist in the end, right? So, but um, 
But the fact is, when, when they refer to, the, the, use that expression, the Jews, they're refusing, refusing, they're referring to those who reject our Lord Jesus Christ and have a burning hatred of him and will do anything they can to destroy even the memory of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's what I assume that they're referring to, that particular group. Yeah. And yes, they do exist, and yes, they, they are motivated by a hellish hatred of, of the true God and his divine son, sure. the Redeemer. Yeah. But I don't know what in particular what, uh, and they are the force behind masonry mm -hmm. and communism, really. Yeah. Um, and to a great extent, socialism, too. I mean, <clears throat> you, you find this, this mad drive toward totalitarianism. And you have, uh, you have like, like the infant Hillary, like Hillary, reborn in Ocasio-Cortez. This is like, I mean, Hillary, I guess, is still, you know, with us, right? But if she were to be reincarnated, she could be reincarnated as Ocasio-Cortez. Unless, and, and there are a number of other candidates, but, um, but here you have this, this, this uh, barista who is dictating now uh, to the Democratic Party, right? Um, because let's face it, I mean, they've become the party of the outrageous. They've become the party of the outrageous. And the more outrageous you are, the better Democrat you are, and the, the more they, they want, they put the light on you, okay? And anybody who can one up Ocasio-Cortez by saying something even more outrageous, they're going to be the new leader de facto, right? Um, but Ocasio-Cortez is, uh, is f f pushing the socialism, this Green New Deal, and all the rest, right? Making Bernie Sanders almost look relatively conservative. Well, at least, at least rational. She at least makes Bernie Sanders sound rational. No easy task. But they're about totalitarianism. That's what they're all about. I mean, what is socialism but the, having the government, government bureaucrats, controlling one's entire life? the entire life of every single man, woman, and child in a society. Essentially, this is what it means. This is what socialism is. It means giving, having government control over everything that you need to live. Now, who in his right mind would go for that? I mean, you ask these socialists, do you trust the politicians? They say, oh, no, no, I don't trust politicians. But do you think the politicians should control your life? Oh, no, I don't think the politicians control my life. Are you a socialist? Oh, yes, I'm a socialist. And you ask, okay, well, what is socialism? Well, it's this, that, and, and they talk about the birds and the, and the trees and the flowers and the clouds, and they talk about all this nonsense, you know. <clears throat> but I mean, if you kind of confront them with the fact that, well, why are you ha having all these politicians pushing socialism? Don't you understand what they're saying is, we want to have control over everyone and everything that everyone needs to live in this society. And we want you to voluntarily surrender that control to us, appoint us as your absolute masters. That's what government is in socialism, right? Uh, they, they don't seem to be capable of grasping the concept, but that's essentially what it is, making the politicians and their appointed bureaucrats, <coughs> the nomenclatura, the ruling uh, class is such that there is no other class. They, in other words, they control everybody and everything everyone needs to live. That is socialism. That's right. You have to be out of your mind to vote for that, or extremely ignorant, or just right, or a politician. <laughs> right? I mean, I can see why the politicians want that. Yeah. Right? Because <clears throat> they think they're the ones who are going to have that control. I mean, what's the difference between that? <laughs> And pointing again at somebody saying, put your hands up and give me all everything you own, okay? Give me all your money, give me all your jewelry, give me everything. I mean, this is this is turning the government into that person with the gun, saying, okay, hands up, you know, uh, turn over everything you've got of value to me. And uh, I don't I don't see how anybody other than a politician or a uh, well, uh, 
very ignorant person could could possibly uh, want something like that. But anyway, uh, they do. <laughs> yes, they do. All right. Yeah. Uh, last last email, Father. <clears throat> Sphere says I've been following Michael Voris for about six years now. I've gone on his retreat at sea four times, and every time it has been a spiritual wake-up call. Michael is a solid Catholic who is appalled by the rot that is in the church today. I was shaken and shocked when, in an episode of WCB, Father Jenkins said that Michael Voris was Novus Ordo. Michael Voris hates the Novus Ordo with a passion. He always talks about the abuse and the sacrilegious things that go on in the Novus Ordo. I know that he is not SSPX, so is perhaps that what Father Jenkins meant when he said that Michael Loris was Nova Sordo? Well, he's not SSPX, SSPV, uh, when I say he's Nova Sordo, I mean he accepts the new Mass as Catholic. He accepts the new rites of the sacraments as Catholic. He doesn't reject those. He accepts the modernist hierarchy as the hierarchy of the Catholic Church, and there's other... He accepts... I mean, he, he may rail against them. And I think I think what the person writes there, uh, using the words abuses, true, he condemns the abuses. <clears throat> he still regards Francis as the vicar of Christ on earth, though, without any question. You can't question that, as mine. <clears throat> he still regards the Novus Ordo Church, the, this monstrous creation of the modernists, he still regards that as the Catholic Church. And he does not reject Vatican II as such. He rejects abuses of Vatican II. He doesn't reject, to my knowledge anyway, the new Mass, right, the new liturgy, or the new sacraments as such, but the abuses of these things. Whereas a traditional Catholic rejects these things as modernist inventions, contrivances, to replace the true Mass and the true sacraments. Um, there, there is a diff- uh, There's a major difference there. Sure, and Father, I think just to show the uh, the lunacy of this this position, I think it was uh, um, it was described very well in an email that we received from a viewer several months ago. I remember reading one line in it where he said that he thanks God every day for the papacy of Francis because the papacy has exposed the filth in the church, and I just remember reading that and thinking the filth in the church the church is supposed to be the spotless bride of christ right so how can we have a filthy church and i think when you have when you you try and um francis is the one who wants to create the message that's what he said make make the mess of a church but when you have this you you try and you try and reconcile these this filthy church and this is the spotless bride of christ it's totally illogical it is uh even to the point of being blasphemous I mean, when you when you look at what Francis is doing to the church, to the papacy, to souls, to our Lord Himself, uh, I mean, it's sacrilege, it's blasphemy, it's uh, it's heresy. Um, one cannot be thankful for that. No, no. Um, it's like Francis saying that God wills the diversity and multiplicity of religions, right? But even the ones that are, I mean, the false religions, right? Even the ones that are blasphemous. Well, how can Michael Morris turn around and say that I thank God for the Francis uh, church, you know, a church and his papacy and all the evil that comes from it because it exposes the the evil that is in the church, the the, the sordidness? The... No, 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 no. It gets back also, Tom, to some of that uh, this idea of recognize and resist. Right. I recognize he's the Pope, yeah. but I resist what he says and does. And uh, again, the very starting principle of that empowers Francis to dictate the new papacy. He's defining what the new papacy is. He's destroying the traditional Catholic concept of the papacy and replacing it with the Francis papacy. And uh, that's what the recognize and resist mentality does. It allows Francis to, to call the shots, as it were, and to redefine the papacy as to what a Catholic pope can do. Um, it's it's a formula for disaster of faith. Right. And this recognize and resist, Father, in, in line with that, uh, one of our staff members just the other day sent us a link to the um, the newsletter from the Asia District of the Society of St. Pius X, and I guess they were having some sort of a priestly retreat 
over there and mm-hmm. for one of the, the, the sessions of the retreat, they, they have this picture in their newsletter of all of their Society of St. Pius X priests in the Novus Ordo Cathedral for a holy hour of, of preparation. You know, the picture right there has, you know, their modernist table and this modernist It's, it's conducted by one of the Novus Ordo priests of the diocese, and the New Order priests. And, and all of these Society of St. Pius X priests in the Asian <clears throat> district are over there in this Novus Ordo Cathedral worshiping <clears throat> there, attempting to worship there. And you just, you see this picture and you just think, how insane is this that they it's it just seems the very definition of insanity that they are trying to have they're trying to have their catholic church inside of this modernist church and it is just it absolutely it's tom absolutely. this is the very definition of ecumenism like they don't have the same religion the practice mm-hmm. they don't have the same faith but you can have two different religions and two different faiths in the same church that's the very definition so they're of pretending that yeah you get a multiplicity of faiths and a multiplicity of practice of religions, practices in the same church. And so they're conceding the whole point of modernism. They, they might as well just forget the whole idea. They might as well just say, look, we like the traditional mass because we like it. Mm. We just like it. It's our flavor. Okay. Yeah. And uh, because it actually appeals to our aesthetic sense, or whatever, that's why we follow it. It's not a matter of principle. It's a matter of preference. And uh, if that's if that's what they're going to do, they might as well just admit that that's what it's all about with them. Um, but you know, traditional Catholics can't enough cannot admit that because it would be a lie because they believe it as a matter of principle, it is a matter of faith, not a matter of personal preference, not a matter of personal taste. Sure. Uh, anyway. Um, I'm sorry. I guess that's all I had for tonight. So unless you uh, had anything else, anything else going on? Again, you know, it all all roads lead back to Francis at this point. And it seems in the Novus Ordo. And by the time they allow him to redefine the papacy, there will be nothing left of the papacy as the Catholic Church has always taught it to be and must always teach it to be. Francis is going to annihilate that before their very eyes, and they will follow him. Um, <clears throat> because they believe in him, it seems. you know They're, they're afraid not to. Um, but you, you, one cannot allow a man like uh, Francis or Jorge Bergoglio, to define what the papacy is. He's he's um, attacking the faith, the Catholic faith, left and right. He's scandalizing the Catholic people, left and right. And, uh, you know, the, the only solution, the only really real answer that a Catholic soul can give is to reject the Novus Ordo as this monstrous construct of modernism, born of modernism. And modernism is not born in heaven, it's born in hell. And the religion that follows from modernism is in the new mass, the, the new sacraments, so-called. And uh, to return to the practice of the traditional Catholic faith in its entirety with the traditional mass, but to make sure that they, they will go to a true traditional Catholic priest, not one who is compromised mm-hmm. with the Novus Ordo or Novus Ordo ideas, okay? So, again, is that easy to do these days? Well... Not necessarily, no, it might take some sacrifice. But our Lord never said it would be easy. He said it would be difficult. But he said it would be worth the sacrifice, right? We know that. So uh, we just have to encourage people to uh, remain faithful by practicing the traditional faith, uh, having the traditional faith to begin with, and then practicing it in the traditional mass, traditional sacraments, the traditional Catholic morality, and not settling for anything less. Certainly not... Novus Ordo. That modernism. Right. Um, you know, Tom, all the evils we talked about here, um, the, it, all of these things, I mean, the, 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 the murder of children up to birth and even after birth, uh, so many of these are, are actually being put in place by Novus Ordo Catholics, so-called, right? And uh, the Novus Ordo refuses to excommunicate them. So so deep is the scandal within the Novus Ordo. 
Francis just told the Synod about the abuse of minors over in Rome. And the world pretends that this is addressing the problem. But this is a sham. <clears throat> because it ignores the problem. You know, we're talking about the abuse of minors. Francis gets up and says most of this happens in families. He shifts this to other. He says it's not acceptable in the church. He's talking about the abuse of underage children. But 80-something percent of the cases that are, that are being found, at least this is the figure they're given, are not about the abuse of underage children. We're talking about ephibophilia. We're talking about uh, pederasty. We're talking about their priests abusing their seminarians. We're not talking about the vast majority of them are not abusing, you know, three, four, six, seven-year-old children. They are attacking their own seminarians, and they're involved in homosexual acts with grown people, grown men, okay? And that's, that was excluded. That had nothing to do with that Senator Francis. So he's not even touching on the problem. That is the plague of the Novus Ordo Church. But again, the problem in the Novus Ordo Church, ultimately, is not homosexuality. Homosexuality is like the Novus Ordo religion <clears throat> compared to modernism, which is the Novus Ordo faith, okay, that produced the religion. It comes back to the modernism that has uh, basically hijacked, the modernists have hijacked the church. Um, and this is what they've done. You know, they're the ones who are responsible for bringing this in. Uh, they're the ones who are empowering all of the, the homosexual activity. So uh, you, the only way you're going to address this problem is by going right to the root cause, and that's the loss of faith, which is, which is modernism. And you have to refuse to compromise with modernism by refusing to tolerate modernists. That's right. That's what the popes would have done. This is St. Pius X was doing. That's what he told us we have to do now, too. Sure. Father, thanks for being here tonight. Appreciate your time. God bless you. Well, Tom, thank you too. God bless you. Okay. Take care. Thanks to all of our viewers as well for watching this episode of What Catholics Believe. Until next time, we ask that you all remember the words of Our Lady of Fatima to consecrate yourselves and your families to the Immaculate Heart of Mary and to pray and do penance. Thank you and God bless you.